Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. So one of the things, I don't know if you do this, but I do this a lot, but uh, an important truth I've been kind of like learning and through life, and I don't know if I'm getting older, or I just don't like being on the Instagrams and the TikToks and the Facebooks anymore, but like the one thing that I, I, I try to do in life is to not look at somebody's like personal highlight reel and to look at that and be like, that's goals. That's life. So again, you start looking at like, again, Michael Jordan, you start looking at like a Kobe Bryant, a Steve Eiserman, Pickers Sport, Barry Sanders, wherever you want to be. You start looking at all their highlight reels and you're like, they are the greatest athlete of all time, which all those guys were, but that wasn't every single game. That wasn't every single play. Michael Jordan didn't make every single buzzer beater. Kobe Bryant didn't have Mamba mentality every single time. Barry Sanders sometimes fumbled the ball. It happened. But when you start looking at people's highlight reels, and I see this like in social media, you start looking at like, oh my gosh, that person's like making sourdough dough bread, and they're doing crafts, and they're homeschooling their kid, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and you're like, oh, mom goals. Guys start looking at TikTok, you see like, again, the rock, like lifting weights and stuff like that, and the rock's triceps are like that big, and like, you're like, that should be me if I do one push-up, you're like, Nah, it's taken that guy like 20-something years after WWE to get to that level, and we don't know if it's all natural. I'll just leave that one there. But again, you start looking at stuff, and you're like, goals. But for me, like, I'm looking at some of these things, like, again, the, this, this, this Instagram-worthy, this, like, uh, I mean, like, uh, they're all put together. They have everything down. And you start looking at that, and you start looking at your life, and you're like, well, what's wrong with me? And the thing I've had to, like, teach myself, the thing that I've had to, like, temper myself is to not do that. I, I can't be putting, like, again, watching somebody put something on Facebook, and, again, I don't know how many angles they did. I don't know lighting. I, I don't know all that they've done for that. But I've also had to learn the other, the other side of the spectrum is to not discredit what I just saw. It's really cool what Barry Sanders does. It's really cool what Michael Jordan did, Kobe Bryant. Again, like, to look at some of those, the, the, those moments I don't want to just throw it away, but like, that's not every single time, ergo, nothing counts. No, it, some of those things count. You see somebody do something great in their marriage. You see somebody do great with raising their kids. Like, again, did not discredit that. But the thing that I, I, I've tried to like set my heart to is to kind of understand that, again, to get to that place, every single one of those things matters. You see somebody homeschooling their kid. You, you see the mom goal. You see, you see the workout goal. Like Again, there's, there's struggles. There, there, there's work. There, there's effort. All those things get put into that. And I think for me, like, I, I try not to discredit, man, that's great. But in the same right, I try not to swing to the other side of the, the spectrum where you're like, oh, my, that's all that it is. Because the reality is we all know that life has ups, downs, setbacks. We know sometimes things take effort. There's work that needs to go into some things. But for me, this is what I'm really excited about to go through the book of Ruth for. So again, it gets to the point where it ends happily. Again, you get the happy ever after. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1, and then we'll jump to verses 5 and 6. Uh, Matthew, the gospel of uh, 
Jesus Christ starts with. It says, the book and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then it tracks, 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 and you get to verse 5, and it says, and Salmon, the the father of Boaz, Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. To be in the genealogy of one King David, that's spectacular. You're, you're, You're part of, like, the dude, like everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. Like David is a huge figure in history, in the Bible, all those things. But then the bigger one, let's not miss this, the book and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. To be in the genealogy of the Lord and Savior, the Messiah, like, oh, that's a big deal. So again, we, we can't always just make Jesus this like mythical, like spiritual figure. Like Jesus came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. He, he was incarnate deity. He was 100% man, 100% flesh. And for Ruth, she's part of this genealogy. She's part of the story of Jesus. So again, it gets to this like, oh my gosh, it's a happy ending. But the reality is, it doesn't go without ups, downs, hardships, sacrifice, and trouble. And that's the thing that I love the most about the book of Ruth. Because again, it's, it's amazing that God uses everyday, ordinary people to be a part of his story. Like, God is, like, working, like, backstage, like, the entire time. You don't see him as this, like, prolific figure where he's, like, parting the Red Sea and throwing down, again, uh, fireballs from heaven. Like, you're not, you're not seeing this huge thing. But you watch God in the ordinary. You watch God in the everyday. You watch God, and this is something for all of us, he's working with people just like you. And just like me. And what does God eventually get to? Again, he gets to this amazing, like, man, we're, we're going to put Ruth in Scripture to say that, man, she's, she's part of the genealogy of the Lord. But as we go through, especially today, it's not all good. It's not all great. You see some dysfunction. You see some hurt. You see some setbacks. But the entire time you see the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. So kind of one of those things, uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at what binds, what bonds a family together. And I'm really excited to be able to go. So let's kind of like build some like, where are we at in the Bible? What are we, what are we looking at? So the book of Ruth uh, kind of starts uh, in verse 1, chapter 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, and there was a famine in the land, and the man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and he and his wife with his two sons. So to just kind of like set the place, where are we at? It says, when the judges ruled. So where do you put that if you know your, if you know your Bibles? Again, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So we're right there in the time that the judges ruled. So where are we kind of at? The, the children of Israel have left Egypt. So again, let my people go, parting of the Red Sea. We got across the Red Sea, then we start wandering all through the desert, and you got this guy by the name of Moses leading. Eventually Moses hits a rock twice, can't go in the promised land, so he eventually passes leadership over to, uh, again, Joshua. Joshua then leads through the wilderness. He gets them to, like, Canaan. He gets them to the promised lands. And then when they kind of get, start getting set up in the promised lands, this is where a group of people called the judges ruled over God's people. Now, when you think judge, what do you think? Someone who's got a kind of decree whether or not someone's innocent or guilty. Sad reality of in the time when the judges ruled, people of God were not exactly the most obedient living for God. They were turning from him, 
God would do amazing things. And then they'd turn around and like, oh, this is comfortable for a little bit. And they'd be like, eh, we're good now. Then they, they, they go back to worshiping false gods. They go back to like not listening to God. That, that, that's where we live. So God put judges there. And all the time, whenever God put a judge, he would always send a rescuer. He'd always send them the opportunity for them to be helped. It was always a beautiful picture. But in this time, this is when the judges ruled. And there's one verse in the book of Judges that I think summarizes the entire book. In Judges chapter 17, verse 6, it says, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's one of the scariest verses that I think can exist in the Bible. And this could be one of the scariest descriptions uh, that could ever like befall upon us. So in this time, everybody in the world, everybody who lived for Jesus, just basically like, yeah, I think it's right. I'm going to go do it. Kind of reminds you of like nowadays because not much has changed. I think that's right. I'm going to do it. I think I want to say that. I'm going to do that. I want to go there. I'm going to do it. I don't really care about anything. I'm going to go do it. If it works for me, it's my truth. It's where I want to live. I'm going to go do that. Even with the Bible nowadays, the word of God, the instructive, corrective, lovely exhortation, the word of God, people will still be like, ah, I'm going to do everything I did. I did what was right in my own eyes. This is the world that we live in. And I don't know if you've seen this in life, but if everybody starts doing what they want to do in life, it doesn't typically end well. It doesn't go in the direction that it should. It definitely doesn't go in the direction that God needs it to go. But this is that, 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 that backdrop. This is where we set. So to kind of get into a more specific, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So we have an issue where you're starting to see a little bit of tension. Now, again, when you start reading the Bible and I'm weird with this because I like connecting dots and as many dots and lines that you can connect in the Bible, the better. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, this is like when, again, law, God is putting his law down, he's giving the instruction, he's giving his decree. God says, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and in your, and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods to worship them. So what do we have going on in the time of Ruth? A famine. Ain't nobody eating. People aren't eating. Cattle ain't eating. There's no water. There's no food. It's a little rough. What does God promise here? God says, if you serve me, if you love me, if you don't leave me, if you don't go do whatever you think is right in your own eyes, if you worship me genuinely, I will make sure you're taken care of. I will bring the rain. I will bring the early rain. I will bring the late rain. Like, I will take care of you. But if you leave, if you depart from me, if you go do what you think is right, it's going to get rough. And what happens here? I, I, I look at this, this famine fits absolutely perfectly. It's cause and effect. Why is this famine here in the book of Judges? What did you constantly see? People wandered from God. After God would show up and do amazing things. Again, you got Gideons, you got Samsons, you got Deborahs, you got, you got great moments. God shows up, he redeems, he rescues his people, and then instantly people are like, hey, I'm going to forget about that, I'm going to go do my own thing. 
So in this land, this is where we're sitting. And you love? I'm not going to show up. Now, I think this is the, the big question. Well, how could a loving God do that? Right? And you're going to say a loving God, a, a controlling God, a God who's over all things. He, he takes care of it. He's for his people. How could a God do that? We have such a loving God. He loves us so much that he respects even our bad choices. He doesn't force us to make those choices. That, that's how loving of a God we have. We don't have a God who forces, he doesn't manipulate, he doesn't armbar you and put you in the direct. Like, no, we have such a loving God. He loves you so much that, again, if you walk away, he knows he's going to love you to bring you back to him. Uh, that, that, that's a picture of what we have here. But you also got such a loving God that he, he loves you so much that he's going to hold on to his promises. Have you ever seen that parents like, do it one more time, I'm going to spank you. Do that one more time. I'm going to take away your switch. Do it one more time. You're not eating for a week. You just keep like saying one more time, one more time, one more time. And you never do it. What happens to the kid? They're like, I know you're bluffing. I'm going to keep doing it. But we have a loving God who loves us so much. He'll discipline us on one. He's going to make sure we don't move back. Nah, 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 nah. Don't do that. That's love. That's the true definition of love. But so now let's meet some people. That's the backdrop. You got disobedience. You got famine. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the days when the judges rule, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Well, that means like he left the promised land and he went to Moab. We'll get to that in a second. And he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Emelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephraimites, there we go, from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and they remained there. So this is like a really, really like glanced over verse when we read Ruth. This sets up actually a stage for like everything here. You have a father. There is no food in Bethlehem. Why? There's a drought. There, there, there's a famine. Like why? The famine's there because good, we're not listening to God. But there's a famine there. So what does this father do? This father decides, I have a wife. I have two sons. We're going to leave the promised land to go to Moab. Now you look at this and you're like, well, that's not that bad. Well, father, I got to make sure my kids eat. That's what a family should do, right? But go back to this Judges chapter 17, verse 6, verse everybody did what was right in his own eyes. So literally, you got a father who's like, well, the grass is literally greener over there. We need food. Let's go there. But the reality, though, and this is what the scariest thing, this is why knowing geography and knowing maps for when it comes to reading the Bible is so important. Moab isn't a part of the promised land. It's not where God said, like, hey, this is the land that flows from milk and honey. This is where I need you to go. Hey, Moses, go there. Hey, Joshua, go there. This is, this is where I want you to set up. Moab is just outside of the promised land. So this, this dad, like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal because this father, this man, this, this husband leads his family just outside of God's promise. Just outside the land of milk and honey. Just on the boundary of it. And he walks away from it. And this absolutely wrecked me this week. Because to think about it, like this, this idea, the, 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 this, the idea of again, just getting to this, hey, I'm not going to take my family too far. You know, I know this is where God promised us, 
We're just going to be a little outside of that. This is where God wants me to be. This is how God wants me to act. This is how God wants me to worship. Just, 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 just outside. Just a little far back. That's not that bad. And just think about this idea. Like, I'm just far enough that when this hard season stops, I'm going to come back. I, I, I can still see the promised land. I'm not too far back. Not too far away. But God, once this famine's done, once everything's good in our life, I'm I'm coming back to you, man. And you see Amalek. Again, he's trying. I'll give him that. But look what he just did with his family. He basically just set up this idea. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. He put himself in a spot, and he put his family in a spot where it was okay to compromise. He put himself in a spot where it was okay to just be far enough that in the event I need to come back, you know, I can come back when all things are good, but, you know, when stuff's going bad, I'm going to back up a little bit. No. But as as, as a husband and as a father, I looked at this and I saw how many times am I no different how many times do I put, hey, we're, we're, we're close enough to praying. We're close enough to reading the Bible. We're, we're close enough to having a good attitude. We're, we're close enough to worshiping the Lord. How many times do I look at God like, yeah, th- th- there's a reason for this dysfunction right now. Start making excuses. Start saying, oh, God gets this. Oh, God, you're the one who sent the famine. I mean, I know you said that you sent the famine because if I don't worship you and love you, that, that's the reason why you sent the famine. But again, we're, we're going to leave that one over there. We're just going to blame God. God. God, you get this. You get why I'm just far enough back. You get why I'm just obedient. You get why I'm just far enough back from actually living for you completely. And it's just for a season. It's just for a little bit. But you, you don't understand my, 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 my kid's sports schedule. You don't understand, like, I, I, it's hunting season, it's fishing season, I gotta go do me. You understand, like, life's, life's hard at work right now. You look at this father, you look at what he said, this justification of sin in light of God's grace and in light of God's promise ought to weigh really, really heavy on us. And that shouldn't just be for parents. That shouldn't just be inside of the marriage, that should be for young people too. I'm going to be just outside where I ought to be living and loving my parents and respecting my parents and going to church and making sure that, again, I'm growing in my walk with the Lord. This should be rooted in marriage, again, to make sure that your marriage isn't just, just far away. We can see where we need to do, but let's just make it convenient for us. This should be something that is the heart of believers. We should hold this and we should see this as a horrible representation of what we're ought to do. Again, I'm not calling for perfection. You've sinned, I've sinned, no marriage is perfect, nobody's perfect here, no child is perfect, no parent is perfect. But to live by everybody did what was right in his own eyes. But calling for faithful obedience to the Lord, that we don't live in a place where we're like, eh, that's enough. We shouldn't live there. We shouldn't live in a place where we look at God and say, you love me, you should, you should understand why I'm just far enough away. We should look at this. And when we're looking at family, this is how this family starts. This is where they start. And this is a bad place for any family to be. I'm not going to take my family too far away from where God promises us to be. We live in the, it's just far enough to get us through this season. And then when things are good again, like we'll come back. 
But the worst thing is when you're not looking towards God, it kind of voids your faith in God. So for again, like we're, we're, we're gonna, here's the promised land, here's Jerusalem, here's Zion, this is where we got to put. And you just got a family just kind of doing this, not looking. You can't say you got your eyes locked on God if you're going to live in Moab. You can't say you got your eyes locked on God if you left his promised land where he said this is the land of milk and honey. Turn around, but no, no, it's okay though. It's rough right now. It's difficult right now. Schedule's too packed. There's no food. Bills are tight. I can't live there. And I get hard times. I get rough patches, man. Again, but, but this keeps... The keep you up at moment, though, is, again, with your kids. God gave, again, like children. He gives them them. This is your family. It's your wife. And the tragedy hits here, because when we go to verses 3 and 5, but Amalek, the husband of Naomi, died. I wish there was more here. You know what I mean? This Bible, so just, just, he died. Hey, he left. He dead. No, why? Did he repent? What happened? God said he didn't, didn't need us to know that information. But again, but Amalek, the husband of Naomi, the one who led his family to Moab, yes, for a decently good reason, but still walked his family away from the Lord, died. And she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. And the names of the ones were Orpah and the other was Ruth. And they lived there for about 10 years. And then both Malon and Kilion died. Again, any more information there? Like, can you give, uh, give us some heads up? Like, was, were, were they married before Amalek died? What was going on? But like, now, now the son's dead. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So I said, what about the kids? The one thing where I was looking at the, 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 the tragedy, man, it, it's difficult to take in that you have a husbands who are dead. It's difficult to take in that now you have sons who have passed away. It, it's difficult to take in that you got Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah now who are widows. Like, again, that, that's difficult. That's heavy. Like, we should be grieved for them. That's the thing that I love about the Bible. It says, take care of widows and orphans. Like, I, I love that we have a God who takes care of the fatherless. I love that we have a God who cares for people. But, but these are heavy. It's heavy to think about a family now is, is going to go through difficulty. It's heavy now that you've got the breadwinners, so to speak, that aren't there anymore. Like, that's heavy. But the tragedy was when Amalek died. He wasn't facing the Lord's promise because of Amalek's faithlessness. We'll get to Boaz next week, and we're going to see why Boaz has so much. Boaz had so much because he stuck out the famine. He stayed faithful to the Lord. Emelech has nothing because he didn't have faith. And that's tragic for somebody who should have known God to pass away not facing his faith. Now, was he in heaven? I don't know. Did he have a personal relationship with the Lord? I don't know. Did he repent? I don't know. You read the exact same scripture as me. Like, and Emelech died. You're like, I don't know. I, I pray to God that God is gracious and loving and he knew exactly what was in the man's heart and again, he's with God in paradise. On the other side of the equation, again, truth is truth and if he didn't truly have faith in the Lord, like I, I know what the repercussions are there. 
But it's the most tragic thing that one, this, this father dies not facing the Lord. But I think what's even bigger, a bigger tragedy is his sons pass away facing the exact same direction as their father. Emelech wasn't facing God's promise. Emelech wasn't facing God's goodness. Emelech was not facing the direction that Emelech needed to be facing, and neither were his sons. That grieves me as a husband. That grieves me as a father. And I'm not trying to put shame on anybody. I'm not trying to put anybody in a bad spot. But again, like I feel you feel the weight of that. Husbands, I'm going to get you a few times this month. Dads, I'm going to get you a few times this month because where leadership starts in the family is the husband, is the father. But for them, oh my gosh, that's so tragic. I never want to do anything that would ever make my sons or my daughters ever not face the Lord. And I pray to God he's gracious and he, he, he grants me that request. But Amalek walked away. Why? It's difficult. It's hard. Because everybody did what was right in his own eyes. When that mentality prevails, family bonds will be destroyed. If we're just going to do what's right. Because I think it's right. I'm not going to consult the word of God. I'm not going to pray about it. We're not going to look at what does God want me to do. I'm going to be just close enough to obedience. But I don't want to step fully into obedience. Because, you know, that can be difficult at times. That can cause sacrifice at times. You know what? You got to sit in a season where there's a famine going around you and be like, the Lord is good. He's going to prevail. We're going to repent. And when you don't see it happen like that, we're like, nope, I'm, I'm going to Moab. But it's so tragic to see. I, I, I see a family, and this is where the book of Ruth starts. All because of faithlessness. A father didn't stand in the land of milk and honey. All because of faithfulness, a father passed away, not facing the goodness of God. And then two sons passed away, not facing the goodness of God. Have you ever seen this? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, oh, I'm living this and I'm terrified of that. These are scary things. These are some big points. But to just say I'm going to move just out of touch of where God wants me. I've heard people say that. I need to take a break. I don't see I'm back. I hear people turn around, but I I just got to do me for a little bit. I got to focus on me. I got to go find my truth. I got to go find what my destiny is. And I don't see him come back. And again, this is one of the most tragic things to ever see. I I have seen students do that. I've seen young people that I've known since they were children grow up, and you're like, ah. And again, for parents, I know that's one of the most terrifying things in the world, because guess what? You don't get to make all your kids' choices. At some point, you've got to let them live. We'll get to helicopter parenting in the next couple of weeks, so this is going to be a fun one. But at some point, you've got to let them make choices. And hopefully, they make the good one. But for you, are you setting that example? But I cannot think of anything more tragic of someone to turn around and be like, I'm just going to do what is right in my own eyes. Because the reality is, when you want that kind of freedom, you also got to take that kind of blame. Because if you start doing stuff what's right in your eyes, you can't turn around and be like, but it's God's fault. It's the youth ministry's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's the pastor's wife's fault. It's the worship ministry's fault. It's the kids' ministry's fault. You don't get to say that. If you want to start living a way where you say everybody did what was right and in their own eye, you are now acceptable for basically that responsibility. You can't blame anybody. And again, I, I, I hate the verses, and Emelech died. I want to know more. 
Did you blame the Lord? Did you blame your wife? Did you blame the famine? Did you blame your kids? Did you blame the pastor? Did you blame the weather? Did you blame CNN? Did you blame Fox News? Where were you at, man? Because you walked away from the Lord. And I look at this. I see tragedy. If you're sitting here and you're like, wow, this is really uplifting. Really glad I decided to come and gather today. I need to set this. Because the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the bad news is really, really bad. But the good news is really, really, really good. So this is where we start, man. I don't know what Naomi thought. I don't know where her heart was with her husband. Grieving over her husband, grieving over her sons. Like, this is the weight that you have. You have three husbands dead. You have three families wrecked. You have three widows now trying to figure out life. Grief, anger, confusion, pain, bitterness. All of that is there. And then you add, though, where are we going to get food? Because where we're living, this isn't it. You now have one of the greatest things ever to happen in a family. We are lost we are broken. We don't know where to go. And I don't know if you've ever been there as a family. I don't know if you've ever been there in your marriage. I don't know if you've ever been there with the kids. But sometimes that feeling hits. But I love this. If we skip down to Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. And then she, Naomi, arose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab. We'll get there in a second. That's a beautiful verse. For she had heard the fields of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Again, sometimes we just glance over verses really quickly, and we don't understand the totality all the time. But you've got Naomi, who is broken, grief-filled. She hears about the Lord coming back to the land of Israel. Now again, why, how did the God return to the land of Israel when he gives them plenty, when he gives them milk and honey? When the people repent. When they return back to the Lord, when they bring themselves back to living and worshiping God the way they should. But she hears this. She hears that the Lord blessed them. And she left the place where it's just short enough of the land of milk and honey and she started walking back to the land of milk and honey. I want to get there in a second. I want to land on that in a second. But, but to summarize the next couple of verses, Naomi tries pushing Ruth away. She tries pushing Orpah away. Because, again, in her mind, she understands she's taking a Moabite back to the nation of Israel. She, she's trying to fix it herself, which, if you ever realized trying to fix stuff yourself never really works? Just a thought there. But even in Naomi's mind, you still see the, the effect of sin here. You still see the fact that everybody did what was right in their mind. She's trying to push these daughters away. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with her trying to do this, but again, in grief and bitterness and her trying to navigate through, she's trying to figure it out, but she's trying to push them away. In one of the Moabites, Orpah, again, she agrees, and she leaves Naomi and Ruth. But then this is that, that, that family-defining moment gave me goosebumps. I, I sat on this truth, and I love this. Because again, you have Naomi. She begins to look towards the Lord's promise. I heard that the Lord is blessing there. I'm living in the land that is just short enough of his promise. You know what? I know I got to go back to his promise. I know I got to return. And she faces back to that direction and she starts walking. Naomi, even in her brokenness, 
Even in how difficult of a situation she is, she faces back to God's faithfulness and starts walking. Do you want to know what that's called? A word we don't talk about much in church because, you know, we got to make, like, we got to make a crowd and got to make sure everybody feels good and happy. And again, it's a moralistic therapeutic deism. No, what that word is called when you turn from your sins and you return to the Lord, it's called repentance. It's one of those things that we don't preach that much because, again, we don't want to offend anybody, but Jesus' message was repent and believe. Repent and have faith. Naomi, in brokenness, she knows where the Lord is at. She knows she's been living just far enough of his promise. She turns back to the Lord. She repents, and she starts walking back towards the Lord. Oh, my gosh. But again, our God, who is rich in mercy, who loves us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for our rebellion and our sins, guess what he does? He welcomes her back. He allows her to walk back. I looked at that, and I'm like, oh. The family bond that can get broke by faithlessness can begin to get repaired by having faith in the one that you need to have faith in. But the Lord has got to fix my marriage, then you got to give him time to fix it. He's going to help my kids, then you got to give him time to fix it. And also, it's not your way. Because if we start living in that, I'm going to do everything right that's in my eyes. I'm going to do it my way. I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do it my way. No. But to understand that Naomi right here turns around and repents and starts walking back, and the Lord will welcome her back. As we start going through the rest of the book, you're going to see what God does with this very defining moment. And as beautiful as that was, I haven't got to the verses that I started with. When Naomi repents, turns back to the Lord, I'm not going to live in this way where I'm just far enough for his promises. When Naomi turns back to the Lord, what do we see in Ruth chapter 1 verse 16? This bond that wraps these two women forever. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and where I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anyone, anything put to death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. The only thing that can bring this kind of determination is faith. Naomi turns around, repents, I'm going back. And what does Ruth say? This is a Moabite woman. This is a pagan, false worshiping person. This is a person who, they're not wrapped in God's promise. And again, we can go through a very, very fun, we'll probably get off track in a growth community at some point going over this. But you have a woman who isn't close to the Lord. No, but, but, her, but her husband was a, a Hebrew. Yeah, but remember what we said. He was, he was living just outside. He wasn't in a place. But what does Ruth declare? The bond that held Ruth and Naomi together. This bond wasn't held together by good works. It wasn't held together by love. It wasn't held together by quote-unquote family. And again, this is a mother-in-law. Oh boy, do we have ourselves a very, very unique situation. But it's not held together by all of that. The bind, the bond that holds this family together is faithfulness that God has for his people. Ruth, a Moabite woman, your God is now my God. 
Your people are now my people. I'm going with you. At this moment, again, Ruth, a Moabite woman, gets grafted in to the promise of the Lord. And again, if we look at 1 John chapter 1, 19, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, what holds a family together? Because God is faithful. God was faithful and allowed Naomi's repentance to be accepted and acknowledged. And because of Naomi's repentance, because Ruth watched Naomi turn back to the Lord, what does Ruth say? I want to go with you. Your people, I want them to be my people. Where you go, I go. But the most important thing is your God, the God of the Bible, God, the, the part of the Red Sea, the God that gave commandments, the God that's eventually going to send his son to die on a cross for our sins. I want that to be my God. And to look at this again, Ruth's acknowledgement of the Lord came from the fact that Naomi repented. The thing that we have to get to with this is again, the gospel, the bad news is really, really bad. To set up how broken this family is. Some of the hardship that they went through. The difficulty. And again, you just got, and I'm like, died. Like, that fills in nothing. But to know that this family is grieving. And the thing that I know is like, yeah, I don't know your whole story. I might just get a, a, a two-word thing. Family doing poorly. Okay. I don't know the hardship. I don't know the difficulty. I don't know. Again, when you look at, like, again, you and your walk with the Lord, I, I know that's difficult. When it looks in your marriage, how's that going? It's not going good. Okay. I don't know the depth. I don't know the emotion. I don't know the hardship. I don't know the strain. I don't know the difficulty. I don't know the potholes that you keep running into. I know none of that. Again, you look at how, how are you doing raising your kids? And again, the hard thing is what I'm realizing is like, there's like having like little, little kids. That's difficult as it is. But I realize parents don't stop parenting when their kids get like 18, 19, 20. Because they still worry about them. They still want to make sure that they're doing good. I don't know the difficulty there. I don't know the hardship there. I don't know the strain. I don't know what's keeping you up at night. But the thing that I got to is us. The best we can do is are we facing the Lord? If you want to know what the the bond that will help your family grow, and this is I don't care if you're a husband, I don't care if you're a wife, I don't care if you're a kid. It's facing the Lord. I don't care if you're a teenager here and you're like, I'm going to live just outside of the Lord. Do you live just outside of the Lord? You're you're just far enough away. I guarantee that grieves your parents' hearts. You're never going to have just unity. You're never going to have that bond. You're never going to have that. Because I'm just going to go do my own thing. That that grieves your parents. Wives. Make sure I'm going to do what's right in my, my own eyes. Well, this is what Instagram shows me. Now, learning to submit and love and respect your husband. To find that, that place where you're actually living biblically. Boys, husbands, fathers. Told you, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you're going to take a few chops this month. But it's your job to lead. It's your job to make sure that you are facing the Lord. It's your job to make sure that you're not, I'm just, we're, we're, we're just close enough. Now get up, go to church. Get up, read the Bible. Get up, we're praying. Because why? We face the Lord here. But to see this, families can be a mess. 
Families can be difficult. Again, marriage, kids, in-laws, extended. You add church to the mix, and again, we're all one family here. That makes it very, very complicated. But if we want to see change in the family, we want to stop scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and actually look at real life and actually look at ourselves. From us, it all starts with returning to the Lord. And I don't know where to begin, whether or not, again, you need to form, again, that, that, that bond that, that is found in faith. I don't know if you need to repair that. I don't know if you just need to strengthen that. I, I don't know what it is, but it starts with the faithfulness of the Lord. It starts with the gospel. Don't just position yourself outside of where God has you. Position yourself to walk towards God. Now, I don't know where you're at. I'm not a big guy to do this, and I put it in my notes. If I feel the Spirit's leading. If you're here with your family, you feel you've got to reposition yourself. You feel, man, we're, we're off in this area. We're, we're not communicating the way we need to. Whether or not you're here with your family, the altar is always open. If you feel you need to come and confess your sins because the Lord is faithful, the Lord will forgive us if we want to start this month right. We've got to start with posturing ourselves and walking towards the Lord and putting ourselves in a spot because we can't get to anything when it comes to humility. We can't get the reward. We can't get the, again, restoration. We can't get to any of that stuff if we don't start with repentance. So if you're here, the altar is open. The beautiful thing about the Lord, you can meet him in your seat. But I'm going to challenge you. If you're living in Moab right now, I'm going to live just far enough away. It's time to come back to the house of bread. It's time to come back to the Lord's promise. It's time to return to what he has planned for us.